You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. This afternoon I proclaim to you the word of God and what it teaches us about the true repentance or conversion of man. As the church summarized it in Lord's Day 33 of the Heidelberg Catechism, in connection with that, we read from two passages from the New Testament. First, from Luke 18, verse 9 through the 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, Have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home, justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then we go to Galatians 5, verse 13 through to 26. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Let us now read Lord's Day 
33 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is the true repentance or conversion of man? It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. What is the dying of the old nature? It is to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and flee from it. What is the coming to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith, in accordance with the law of God and to His glory, and not those based on our own opinion or on precepts of man. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord's Day 33 speaks about the true repentance or conversion of man. Repentance, conversion, or many other words, like being born again, rebirth. In Christianity, that is a much debated subject. What exactly is repentance? What is conversion? What is being born again? If you look at the word conversion, it can be explained in in two different ways. If we say that someone is converted to the Christian faith, then with that we say that he or she first did not believe and, and now is a Christian. But according to the Bible and, and the confessions, the conversion is also something that has to happen every day again. Even as Christians, we have to convert, we have to repent every day again. Usually we use the word conversion for someone who becomes a Christian. And the word repentance for sinners who must give up their sins. Or even for Christians who sin and repent from their sins. That is, who amend their lives after having sinned. Lord says 33 uses both words in question 88. What is a true repentance or conversion of man? And from the answers in this Lord's Day, we can conclude that both take place in a lifelong process. It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new nature. But the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new nature, that is not something that that happens all of a sudden, at one moment. And then thereafter you have a new life and cannot sin anymore. Then the catechism should have said, it is the death of the old nature and a new life of the new nature, or something like that. But that is, in fact, something what, what some evangelicals, some Baptists say, that indeed you can come at a point that your old nature is dead and your new nature has come to life fully here on this earth. 
You can be without sin, some of them believe. You can reach a state of perfection, a life through the Spirit. Well, the Bible teaches us differently. And the Catechism summarizes that in Lord's Day 16, for instance, question answer 42. There it is being asked, now that Christ died for us, why do we still have to die? And there the Catechism says that our death is not a payment for sins, but it puts an end to sin. It means that finally when we die, that when our body dies, then our old nature will be completely dead. Only then, before that, we have to struggle and to fight against the evil desires of our sinful nature. And we can read about it in Romans 7, that very well-known chapter in which Paul says that if I want to do good, evil is there right with me. That does not mean, however, that we should acquiesce in that situation and that we should say, well, we are sinners, we can't do anything about that, we will not be perfect as long as we live on this earth. So you have to accept that I'm a sinner. No. That's not what the Bible teaches us. The Spirit works in us, so our struggle against sin is not hopeless. We can change through the Spirit. And we are going to change in this life if the Spirit works in us. And that is what we will see in our lives. Yes, it will be a long and a painful process. The dying of the old nature is not easy. It will hurt. But it will not be without result. Already in this life, on this earth, we will receive and also see the beginning of that new life through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And at that small beginning, that will already be a big change for us. Our old nature and our new nature, they are so completely different that even a small beginning of the new nature of that coming to life will bring about a huge change in our lives already on this earth. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And already in this life, on this earth, we may taste the freedom of the children of God, about which Paul spoke in Galatians 5. We may experience what it means to be free, free from sin. Brothers and sisters, I proclaim to you the word of God this afternoon under this theme, true conversion is necessary to live in the freedom of God's children. And then we see in the first place, conversion is painful. And in the second place, conversion brings new life. True conversion is necessary to live in the freedom of God's children. In the first place, conversion is painful. Conversion, the rebirth, that is something that is worked in us by the Holy Spirit. We can't do it. If the Spirit does not work in us, then we will never be born again. But that does not mean that we then have to wait until the Spirit comes over us in a special way and works in us and and, and all of a sudden changes us. No. Because we also know 
from Larson 25, that the Spirit works through the preaching of the gospel. And it is the preaching of the gospel through which the Spirit convinces us about God's promises. And it is also the gospel which tells us how our new life will be. And the Holy Spirit who works faith in us so that we accept the Bible as true as God's word. He also calls us in the Bible to live a holy life. And by doing that, by calling us to live a new life, he at the same time works that new life in us. He changes our will so that we are willing to live a new life, so that we are going to hate sin and to do good. Oh yes, that is something that can be really difficult. It can be really painful for us. It means that we will have to bring sacrifices. Yes, sure. It is a battle between our old nature and our new nature. And our old nature still wants to do the devil's desires, which still come up in our hearts. But our new nature wants to do the will of God, which goes against our evil desires. Well, and in order to be able to win this battle, brothers and sisters, we must first acknowledge our sin. We must see our sin. We must confess them. That is the most difficult part. Let's be honest. That's the most difficult part. That we first have to admit that something we do is sin. If we are convinced that it is sin, then we know that we have to fight against it. And if we really love God, then indeed we do want to fight against sin. But to admit that something is sin, that is already half of the battle. Often we think that we know what is right and what is not. And we are quick in our judgments. Quick to judge that what someone else does is wrong. But just as quick to judge that what we do is good. And that it should be done our way. And then it is difficult to admit that you did wrong. Look at yourself. Look into your own heart. Isn't that true? To admit that you did wrong? Well, in fact, that is the sin of the Pharisees. We read about the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. The Pharisee was very faithful in, in keeping the commandments. He thought. He thought he was perfect. Nobody could, fi- could find any mistake in his life. He was respected by all people. He belonged to the leaders of Israel. In high esteem. No, look then at the tax collector. That evil man. Almost a criminal. A scum. No, the Pharisee was happy that he was not like all those sinners. And not like this tax collector either. The Pharisee was too proud to see his own sins. Too proud even to see his arrogance. 
is self-centeredness. And that was his biggest sin. That is, in fact, the same sin as Adam and Eve. They thought that they knew what was good. They thought that they knew it better than God did. And this Pharisee, he thought that he could decide for God. That he could sit on God's seat and, and declare himself righteous. Completely righteous. And the Lord Jesus therefore said that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And who humbles himself will be exalted. If we don't know our own old nature, then we should not be expect, then we should not expect to be freed from, from it. We should not expect to be justified. But if we do know our old nature, then we realize our sinfulness and then we humble ourselves before God, knowing our position before Him. Then we know that it is not our own goodness that will save us, but that we need the righteousness of Christ. Well, let us be honest, that is not a very popular message. Of course, we all would like to be praised by man. We all would like to be exalted and, and we will do everything that we can so that others will praise us. And we will certainly not humble ourselves before others. And we will certainly not show or speak about our sinfulness to others. Yeah, but confessing our sins starts with knowing our sins. It is easy, of course, at the end of the day to pray for forgiveness of sins if you don't have to mention them by name. Or if you don't really have to confess your sinfulness before God and if you could only say, Lord, forgive me all my sins. I don't know which ones you have to forgive, but please forgive me all my sins. No. No, we have to humble ourselves. Because we can say that we are all sinners. We can say that we all need forgiveness of sins. But we don't speak about our personal sins. We keep it general in the hope that that is acceptable for God and He will forgive us. It's very difficult to admit our own specific sins. It is very painful to say about certain things you do, well, that is wrong. That is sin. And I have to change that. I must change. Because often those things about which we should say that, those things are usually the things we don't want to give up. Or often that are even elements in in our own character. Sometimes, maybe even often, we speak about our own character or about someone else's character and then, well, that is our character and and that is how we are and you must accept that. But that is not true. Also in our own character we can have elements, we do have elements that are sinful, that are wrong. And we always try to find a reason so that we don't need to change. 
We always try to evade the difficult decisions in our lives as long as we can say that it is my character and that I can't help it. You can't change character, can you? Well, then I don't have to call it sin. Oh, no. But it is sin. Even if it is part of your character. The character can change. Yes, indeed. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. He works in us and he can change the most stubborn characters. He can soften the hardest hearts. And therefore the question is not, is the Holy Spirit able to change us? No, he is able, yes. No, the question is, do we want to call sin in our lives what God calls sin? Do we dare to say about our own deeds, about our own habits, about our own character, that is wrong, that is sin? The Holy Spirit can change it. Don't worry about that. Worry about the fact if you will be able to confess those sins. In Galatians 5, Paul speaks about the life by the Spirit. Life by the Spirit, that is real freedom. If we live by the Spirit, that is being free. You are called to be free. That's the purpose of your life. But then Paul says, if you receive that freedom, don't use that freedom to indulge in a sinful nature. And then in verse 16, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That means if you live by the Spirit, if you obey the Spirit, if you let the Spirit work in your heart, and don't resist the Spirit, then you will stop following your own evil desires. Then you will fight against those wrong habits, against even your evil character. And then in verse 19, Paul speaks about specific acts of the sinful nature. He does not just speak about sins, but he says the acts of the sinful nature. Acts that come from a sinful nature, our old nature. That means that certain traits of our character also come from our old nature. Our old nature that is something that is in us, that permeates our whole being. It is a nature. It is not just something like a bad habit. No, it is in us, it is part of us. It even determines our personality. So indeed, if we speak about character, then that is very much related to our old nature. And if our old nature is going to die and the Spirit gives us a new nature, then indeed our character will change as well. Several of the acts of the sinful nature which Paul mentions in verse 19 to 21, we can also see them in ourselves. Be honest. All kinds of sinful things. Sexual immorality, the first thing Paul mentions. Everybody has to deal with it. Everybody has to fight against sexual temptations. 
especially now in our world in this time, these temptations are very strong. The impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. They all have to do with our relationship with our neighbor. Our old nature is to exalt ourselves above others. So easily it leads to one of these sinful acts. Maybe we don't recognize them all in our life, but at least some of them. And then thereafter Paul mentions drunkenness, orgies and the like. There is much more. And what we must do that is that we have a serious look at our lives after we first listen to God's word, to God's law. And it's also good to read time and again for yourself what the Catechism says about God's law, God's commandments in Lord's 34 to 44. And then after that, then again, have a serious look at your own life. And then don't hesitate to call sin what is wrong in your life. That is the most important. If you don't start with that, then you can just as well give up the battle, because if you don't want to call sin what God calls sin, then you will not fight against sin at all. So often I hear from people that, in fact, they have already given up the fight. I can hear from parents that they accept certain habits of their children, of young people, for instance, if it comes to the music they listen to, music that is not at all to the glory of God, but sometimes even blasphemes his name or uses his name in vain, or music that that, that promotes the gratification of the desires of the sinful nature. And often music is so loud that you can hardly have a serious conversation. It's one example. And when you talk about that, that is not good. And sometimes I hear the reaction from some parents. Oh, well, what can you do about it? I don't agree, but everyone does it. So how can you change it? Well, if that is the attitude, then we already lost the battle. If it is sin, then it is sin. And then call it sin. And fight against it. And tell your children and tell others that it is sin. And that it is unacceptable. Even if you have to tell them ten times or seventy times or seventy times seven times. Or in many other things, for instance, if it comes to the abuse of alcohol. So easily we accept that. We find all kinds of reasons why it is not so bad as, as long as they don't start driving. And often we drink too much. Maybe we just don't get drunk, but we are close. In the meantime, alcohol weakens our resistance against sin dramatically. And that is why drunkenness in the Bible is so often mentioned as a sin. Or another sin, we the way we spend our money and build our own wealth. The cars we drive, the luxury in, in which we live. Is it really pleasing to God? Is it really enjoying His good gifts? Or is it also or maybe only a part because of jealousy or greed? We want to have what others have. Or we want to show to others how good we are. I'm afraid that 
also there in our circles, many sins are committed. I can mention many more things. Just read through the Catechism, Lord said 34 to 44, and there the Catechism mentions a lot of sins, which I'm afraid are also committed among us. None of us is without sin. But what is important is that by not calling it outright sin, we are trying to trying to cover up sins. We don't really want to give up a sinful lifestyle and therefore we find all kinds of explanations to say that it is not bad what we do and that we, well, we may do it. As long as we don't have to call it sin, then we can continue in that sinful lifestyle, we think. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we must become much more radical in following God's word and what it teaches us about sin. God teaches us what sin is. We don't have to discover what sin is. God teaches us. And he teaches us because he wants to save us from our sin. Everything that is not done out of thankfulness to God, everything for which we do not thank God, is sin. And only if we start calling sin, what is sin? Only then we will receive the strength to fight against sin. And then don't be afraid to talk about it with others, to confess your sins to others as brothers and sisters. Don't be too careful in talking about what goes wrong in our own lives, in the lives of others, in schools, in our parties, in the life of our children and young people, the life of all our brothers and sisters. Talk about it, your own life and the life of the other. Don't exalt yourself above the other. Put yourself beside him or her. Confess your sins and help the others to confess their sins. The dying of the old nature starts with recognizing what our old nature is. And only then can we put to death our sinful desires. It is not that we can't know our sinful desires. No, the Holy Spirit works in us and teaches us through God's word what those sinful desires are. He teaches us to recognize those sinful desires. It is all His work. But then we must also know that we can resist Him by not wanting to give up our sinful nature. If we really want to follow Christ and love God and His commandments, then we will fight. Fight against everything in our lives that is not pleasing to God. And then we may be sure that our old nature will die. That is God's promise. Yes, it will be a long process. It will be a painful process. A difficult process. But through the Spirit of God, we will put to death all our sinful desires. And our old nature will die. And at the same time, our new nature will come to life. And that is what we see in the second place. Conversion brings new life. When the old nature is going to die, then the result of that is also that a new nature comes to life. These two go together. If the Spirit works in you. And the more our old nature dies, 
It means that the more you realize your sins, you see your sins, you also hate your sins more and more. But you can only hate sins because you know what is good. And you know how terrible sin is. And what it can destroy. And how beautiful it is to do good. And it is only possible through God's word and spirit. It is impossible that you start a new life, that you get a new nature without hating sin. It's a dying of the old nature. Love for God implies hate for sin. Out of love for God and love for your neighbor, you are going to do what is good. And what is good, that is what the Bible tells us, that is good. If you are in love, you can be in love when you're young, but also when you're older, you can still be in love. If you are in love, then then you're more than willing to do almost everything for the person, person whom you love. Because you love him or her. Things you usually never like to do, well, that is not important anymore. You want to do it for the other. Because you know that the other likes you to do it. We will also do what is good. Because we know that God wants us to do it. God is perfect. He is perfect also in his love for us. He shows his love to us our whole life long. First in sending his one and only son to redeem us from the power of sin. And then also by protecting us and providing us with everything we need. Every day of our lives. Everything we need for body and soul. Now we are going to love him. He works that love in us through his word and spirit. And that is the new life. Our new life is not just doing good works. No. The Catechism says our new life, it is a love and a delight to live according to the will of God. Yes, that is indeed in good works. But most important is that it is a love and a delight to do so. A love and a delight because for us, God is everything in our lives. Well, sometimes that love and delight is, is lacking, at least for a part in our lives. And then we don't feel a delight in doing what is good. We feel it more as an obligation. It is still our old nature, still our stubborn, sinful nature. And it is only through the Holy Spirit that we get a love and a delight in a life according to the will of God. And what that life is, well, that is contrary to what our old nature loves. That is contrary to what is popular in this world. And that is why it is often so difficult to live that new life. Either because we are still very much dominated by the sinful desires of our old nature, or we really want to live that new life, but we feel too ashamed, too embarrassed in this world to be different and to act differently. Well, indeed, that is hard. And that is a constant struggle. Even if you wholeheartedly want to live that new life, still it can be hard 
because you're afraid of what others will say about you. Yes, but through God's grace and through His Holy Spirit, we can grow in it. And it's really true that the more we try to live according to God's will, the more we will experience that indeed it will bring joy in our lives. Many psalms speak very positively about God's law. We sang from Psalm 119, but also Psalm 19, and many other psalms. Oh no, if you tell it to unbelievers that you enjoy it to keep God's commandments and that it makes your life beautiful, well, then they will look at you as if there is something wrong with you. They won't believe it. But you first have to experience it. You first have to do it and to feel the love and the delight to live according to God's will. And that only comes from the Holy Spirit who works in you. He changes your will so that your desire is not anymore to do what is sinful, but your desire is going to be more and more to do what is good, to please God because you love Him. And then, the law of God is not a burden anymore. No, that is the law of the perfect freedom. The freedom of the children of God. Freed from the power and influence of sin. Freed so that we are able to show love again. Love for God. And love for the neighbor. Love. That is the great commandment which God gave to us. And God created us so that we would love him and our neighbor. That is how it was in paradise. Man, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. The Bible tells us in Genesis 2 verse 25. And that was only because they were perfect in love. Love for each other and love for God who created them both. And because of that perfect love, sexuality in paradise was something beautiful. But now that a sin came into our lives, and the love isn't perfect anymore, and often is no real love anymore, no love as God created and intended it, now you see that it is impossible for the man and his wife to be naked in his world without causing sexual immorality. Now, man and woman still love to see the other naked, but not for the right reasons. Now it is to gratify the sinful desires of their own old nature. And that's an example of how sin corrupts our whole life and changes the good things which God gave to us and misused them for the wrong purposes. Sexuality is still good, but man uses it wrongly. Therefore, man and woman must be liberated from the bondage to sin and set free and renewed so that they will be again as God created them. And that's also for all the other commandments. Not only the seventh, but also the first to the sixth and eighth, ninth and tenth commandments. If it comes to what we possess, our money, if it comes to the words we speak, if it comes to the relationship with our neighbor, Also, if it comes to a relationship with God, only when we are really free, then we will be able to really enjoy 
living according to the will of God in all good works, only through Christ, through his work of salvation, his work of justification and sanctification. And then we can see the fruits of the Spirit in our life. As Paul mentioned them in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control. Do you remember what I said about our evil character traits? The fruit of the Spirit is that we will control ourselves. So also the bad personality traits. So if we acquiesce in a certain situation, saying that it is our character and that we can't change that, well, that is how we are, then we think too low of the Holy Spirit. God does never acquiesce in anything else than perfection. And he will make all things new. He will make all things perfect. It is his work in us. And therefore, we should not acquiesce in anything less than perfection either. Because then we would think too low of God. No, that does not mean that we must be perfectionists and that we should not be happy with anything that is good because it is not perfect. Because then, if we are perfectionists, then again we expect it from ourselves. But we must expect it from the Holy Spirit. Striving for perfection means that we should never stop praying. Praying for the grace of the Holy Spirit. We should never acquiesce in an existing situation. We should never become complacent. Thinking about ourselves, well, I am so good. But we should trust in God. Let Him work in us through His Word and Spirit, so that even the good things we do will become better. And at the end, when Christ returns, they will become perfect. Indeed, the Spirit is powerful, and nothing is impossible for Him. The Holy Spirit works through the Bible. Therefore, brothers and sisters, don't hesitate to use the tool which the Holy Spirit chooses to use in your life. The Word of God. The Bible. If you are not satisfied with an imperfect situation, well, then you will take the Bible. Then you will look for improvements in the Bible every day again. And the Holy Spirit can do great things. Yes, He can work in us. He can work in our children. Never stop praying. And as parents also, never stop praying. Continually pray also for your children. They need your prayer. And let us all pray for each other, brothers and sisters. We all need that prayer. Also the prayers of our brothers and sisters. Prayer is a powerful weapon in our fight against sin and Satan. Because the Spirit works when we pray. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.